The opposite of the gag, the spiritual reversal of the roof, is, Rabbi Hirsch writes, the sukkah, the hut whose root is sechach, a reference to the branches that cover it. The sukkah is a form of shelter that by its very porous nature reflects our faith, that ultimately it is God who is our supreme source of protection. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 173, Sukkot at Nuremberg. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. On October 16, 1946, ten members of the Nazi leadership were hung on the gallows following their conviction for war crimes by the tribunal in Nuremberg. The media documented the last words of every one of them, and Newsweek reports the final statement of Julius Streicher, publisher of Der Sturmer. Quote, he stared at the witnesses facing the gallows and shouted, Purimfest 1946, end quote. That is what Streicher said, Purimfest 1946. Purim Fest, of course, is a reference to the Jewish holiday of Purim, which marks the tale told in the Book of Esther, the rise of Haman as vizier of Persia and his attempt to genocidally destroy the Jews. Haman, in the end, is hung on the gallows, and, following a war against Haman's allies, the ten sons of Haman are hung as well. Streicher, in invoking Purim, was drawing on an anti-Semitic trope that had a long German lineage, because it was Martin Luther who first argued that the book of Esther highlights what for him was the bloodthirsty nature of the Jews. This, of course, was an evil lie by Luther. And in fact, the story of Esther is actually a reminder of how evil must be fought. In fact, the Persia of Esther was the Germany of its day, a center of civilization that suddenly empowered a genocidal maniac, an Amalekite by the name of Haman. Perhaps no one understood the relevance of Esther to the 20th century better than Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, who had studied in Berlin at the height of his intellectual splendor, but escaped the inferno that was yet to come. Esther, Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote, is, quote, the book of the vulnerability of man in general and specifically of the vulnerability of the Jew, end quote. Jews, in other words, must learn from Esther and battle against our enemies. Precisely in a world of insecurity and evil, the heroism of Esther must be celebrated and the downfall of the wicked must be joyously marked. And interestingly, while the Nazis at Nuremberg were not hung on Purim, their execution did occur on a Jewish holiday, that of Sukkot, and this, in turn, should inspire us to study with renewed interest a mysterious passage in Ezekiel that is read on Sukkot and to ponder its lessons for us today. Following his vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones, Ezekiel then gives us a terrifying prophecy of a tyrant by the name of Gog, king of Magog, who would create an alliance that would seek Israel's destruction. Ezekiel's description of Gog does not seem to single out a specific person, but rather is an avatar for an Amalek-type figure, one who hates the Jewish people. Chapter 38, verses 1 to 3 and 8 through 11. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people, against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates. 
Thus, the vision describes an enemy who gathers to wage war against the people of Israel. But in the end, Ezekiel decrees, Gog shall be defeated, as the prophet proclaims, in 39.3, in the name of God. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. With the defeat of Gog, Israel will be securely restored, as described further in the chapter in verse 27. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the Gentile. But I have gathered them unto their own land, and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Thus, Ezekiel describes how Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and, as we shall see, the next chapters are devoted to painstakingly describing the temple that is yet to be, stone by stone, gate by gate, vessel by vessel. In Ezekiel's vision, Jerusalem will be entirely restructured, turned into a massive city for the Kohanim, the priests, and all twelve tribes will return to the land of Israel and will each be granted territory of their own. The Messiah will also appear in this vision, known as the Nasi, the prince, an embodiment of world peace. Thus, Ezekiel parallels the visions of Isaiah by also speaking of an end to war, but only, only after evil embodied by Gog is defeated. The message, perhaps, is that the people of Israel will only be fully safe when the terrifying, eerie agents of chaos that pervade existence will be destroyed. Now here, ladies and gentlemen, is what is fascinating. It is this passage about Gog that is read on the Sabbath of the festival of Sukkot, but it is not at all clear why. Nary a mention is made in Ezekiel here of the holiday of huts. And yet, as Rabbi Moshe Lichtenstein notes, so central is this passage in Ezekiel considered by the rabbis to Sukkot that this haftarah is codified in the Mishnah. Why? Why read about Gog on Sukkot? What is the possible connection to this holiday? The great commentator Rashi, clearly struck by this question, suggests that the reading of the Sabbath of Sukkot from Ezekiel is linked to the prophecy of another biblical book, which is declaimed on another day of the holiday. The prophet Zechariah describes another apocalyptic vision in which the nations of the world will be judged, and there mention is made explicitly of the festival of Sukkot. The two visions, Rashi insists, of Zechariah and Ezekiel are one. Both are speaking of the same apocalyptic era, and that is why Ezekiel is also read on this holiday. But the question remains, with no explicit discussion of Sukkot in Ezekiel, and so many other scriptural selections as powerful possibilities, why read on Sukkot of this mysterious embodiment of evil, Gog of Magog? The enigmatic prophecy and its link to the very heart of the holiday was brilliantly explained by Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, rabbi of 19th century Frankfurt. For Rabbi Hirsch, the explanation of the Haftarah lay in the root of both the word Gog and the word Magog, the letters Gimel Gimel, Gog, which in Hebrew means roof. Gog, for Rabbi Hirsch, is the arrogant embodiment of one so confident in his own power that he believes he can create a shelter of protection for himself. The opposite of the Gog, the spiritual reversal of the roof, is, Rabbi Hirsch writes, the Sukkah, the hut whose root is Sechach, a reference to the branches that cover it. The Sukkah is a form of shelter that by its very porous nature reflects our faith, that ultimately it is God who is our supreme source of protection. Rabbi Hirsch describes Magog and its assault on Israel as follows, quote, They regard a sturdy rooftop for their life structure as the ultimate all-important objective. They surround power with the halo of divine majesty and teach the weak to cower before the strong, 
the individual to bend the knee before the state. All this for the sake of expediency and survival and for the gratification of their selfish desires. And Rabbi Hirsch adds, Israel, secure under God's shelter, the roof of the sukkah is read to follow the Ark of the Covenant, His will and His law, without apprehension or fear. The theme of the great drama that we call world history is in reality the struggle between the roof and the hut. The idea represented by the hut is incompatible with the ideal symbolized by the roof, but the hut will prevail. End quote. So are by Hirsch writes. The sukkah is defined by its lack of solid roof. The very laws of what counts as sechach, ritually valid shelter for the sukkah, trees detached from the ground, nothing metal, nothing made into a vessel, highlights this point. Azerbai Hirsch further puts it, quote, the sechach, the protective cover of the hut, must have the character of arai, a temporary structure. It must be fragile, and it must be neither mechubar, directly connected with the ground, nor midavar hamekabel tumah, made of a material susceptible to ritual impurity. Thus, the material from which the roof of the sukkah is made must not be physically linked to the terrestrial world that carries man, nor can it be a product manufactured by man, bearing the imprint of man's dominion. End quote. The shelter of the sukkah, in other words, for Rabbi Hirsch, highlights our trust in God. The sukkah versus the roof, for Rabbi Hirsch, raises the ultimate question of whether our trust is in the divine or in ourselves. Understood this way, the terrifying visions of the end of times actually harkens back, for Rabbi Hirsch, to the beginning of time. The ancient tale of the Tower of Babel, he writes, describes a pagan, tyrannical society that created an edifice in worship of its own power. It is just such nations that hate the Jews who preach about a God of morality and justice. By celebrating for seven days in what seems to be a mere shack, Jews on Sukkot signify their certainty that the ethos marked by the Tower of Babel, by the tyrannies of world history, will ultimately be undone. In other words, as Rabbi Hirsch explains, the Jews, who suffered cruelly at the hands of tyrannies, nevertheless confidently predict that world history, which has in its early beginnings a totalitarian tower, will end in a holiday of huts, a defeat of evil and a recognition of God as the true source of power and justice. So Rabbi Hirsch writes, Thus a sublime symmetry emerges that the Allies in Nuremberg could never have foreseen. As I pointed out in an article in Commentary, it was in Nuremberg itself that Albert Speer built what the Nazis called the Hall of Honor, an enormous structure towering over rally grounds where Hitler spoke. Speer's construction was celebrated in Germany and was inspired by the ancient altar of Pergamon in Greece. But in the end, the Nazi Hall of Honor, like Babel's Tower of Old, was also undone. The most terrifying images of Nazi rallies are taken from within this edifice in Nuremberg. And one of the most glorious images of the end of the war is that of American forces dynamiting the swastika that sat upon Speer's creation. It is fitting, then, that the destruction of this Nazi edifice in Nuremberg was to be followed in the very same city by the hanging of Nazis on the holiday of Hutz. Streicher did indeed die on a day of Jewish celebration, and his just death on Sukkot should render our own celebration of Sukkot more profound, allowing the prophecies of Ezekiel to remind us of God's promise that ultimately good will triumph over evil, and that the Jews who dwell in a temporary structure on one of their holidays are themselves the very embodiment of eternity. Robert Jackson, the chief prosecutor at Nuremberg, said the following at the trial's conclusion, quote, It is common to think of our own time as standing at the apex of civilization 
from which the deficiencies of preceding ages may patronizingly be viewed in the light of what is assumed to be progress. The reality is that in the long perspective of history, the present century will not hold an enviable position unless the second half is to redeem its first. They stand before the record of this tribunal as bloodstained Gloucester stood by the body of his slain king. He begged of the widow as they beg of you, say I slew them not, and the queen replied, then say they were not slain, but dead they are. If you were to say of these men that they are not guilty, it would be as true to say that there has been no war, that there are no slain, that there has been no crime. End quote. On the Sabbath of Sukkot, we read Ezekiel, and as we declaim the vision of Gog and Magog, we ought to remember justice at Nuremberg, marking not Purim Fest, but Sukkot Fest, thinking of the defeat of evil that was, and anxiously yearning for the ultimate defeat of evil that is yet to be. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.